0: I'm going to want us to begin today with a little bit of an exercise, and I don't want you to, don't think you're too cool to do this, okay, because this will, you're going to want to come back to this, and if you haven't done it, then you will have a blank page. So what I want you to do is turn to the front of the bulletin. I left the sermon title blank. We're going to be filling this in today, Um, and each of us will have a slightly different answer because today we're talking about our purpose, our purpose in life, and I, I don't we're not going to be filling in the blank with what the true purpose is. We'll get to that, and uh, hopefully I'll help you see what your purpose is a little bit more and how it relates to your world. But I want to begin with everything we could put in the blank. I want us to write down like how we could fill in that blank. And so what, one thing I could do is I put I am a, and then I started making a list, child of God. I am a wife. That is a role I fulfill, a mother, a pastor, a teacher, a boss, a friend, a daughter, a sister, a colleague. I wrote down all the different roles I fulfill in my life. So what I want you to do is actually take this minute or two, and I'm going to watch when your heads pop up again, and write down all the roles you fulfill. If you need a pen, there's probably one in the seat in front of you underneath that little pocket area there. And the better you do this, the better you're going to be able to see what your purpose in life is. Okay, I'm starting to see some faces. You can finish later if you've got, like, 25 things on that list, okay? That's true. All of us are going to have a different number. Who here has at least five? Raise your hand if you've got at least five things. Most of us probably have at least five, especially if you throw in the family relationships, right? Because you could really, I am someone's cousin. I am someone's niece, you know? Like, I fulfill all these roles. Who here has more than ten? More than ten? Some of us? I want to see who has the most. Who has more than 15? Anybody more than 15? Did I give you enough time? You can't write that fast, yeah. Um, we had somebody who had more than 15 in the last service. So that's a lot to write down in a minute. And so I want you to look at what you've written down. Look at your list and then think, are any of those things, if you, was gonna, if you were even going to take what your job is or what a key relationship is to you, could you put that in the blank Could you circle it really big and say, that is who I am. That is my purpose in life. Most of us know. Like, we look at this list of all the things we do and we think, well, even if me, a pastor, was to say, I am a pastor, I don't think that would really get at my whole purpose in life. And I have a pretty good job, too. I mean, it's a pretty godly job, so you can feel pretty happy about doing that. But still, I couldn't circle that pastor thing and say, that's the end-all and be-all of who I am and why I'm here in this world. Sometimes we think if we just circle our job, we've kind of got it. Um, and my dad's here today. Remember when Grandpa retired? Grandpa was a, an attorney, and, I mean, he was an attorney. He taught law, and he did all these things. And he, when he retired, he started driving Grandma bonkers because he had basically lost that meaning in life, right? I mean, he had more meaning than that, but it was like golf and the, you know, and so she's like, you can't play enough golf games to get out of the house that much. And so he actually started working a little bit again because he found deep meaning in that, in doing that. And he had other meaning. He was not that shallow. But when we retire, when we lose that that big thing that we do and we think we've lost who we are, Our meaning in life, we can can feel that way. So I want us to find something that's more enduring, that can be true of us when we're working and when we're retired and when we're on vacation and when, you know, we're sleeping at night. It can be all of those things together. So we don't quite know what goes in that line there, but we also know what we don't want to go there. Y'all have seen motivational posters? These are their wicked cousins, demotivational posters from despair.com. This is my favorite. Um, I've loved this one ever since I first saw it, that you can make judgments about me for that, but this is my favorite. It says, mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. (laughs) Oh, y'all aren't awake yet, because that's funny. Okay, so um, we know that, we know we don't know the word, but we don't want this in the blank either, right? We don't want to say, I am a sober warning, to others of what not to do, so we don't, we don't want the negative, we don't quite know what goes in there, and if you asked 100 people, 90 of them couldn't, if you said, if I said to y'all, same thing in the church, what is your purpose in life, people, go, uh, we don't know, and it's one of the things that we most wish we knew, what am I here for? Why me? What difference will it make that I lived? What impact will I have on the world? Why? That's one of our biggest doubts. So I want to give us a word to put in the blank. But I also want to tell you first about a time I was in San Angelo. I was at a breast cancer awareness lunch. This was a huge deal in San Angelo. 200, 300 women would get together. All these business and professional women, you, you know, you had sponsor tables. They were all these fancy things. And we always had a speaker at the event. Sometimes they would ask me to say the prayer, and then they'd have somebody else speak, okay? So I didn't get to speak. It was this big motivational speaker, and she comes in, and and she's really dynamic. She's really exciting, but she has all these strange suggestions. You know, I'm just, like, trying to take notes. I'm like, okay. Like, because she said, you know, sometimes you get in this kind of tunnel vision at work. You know what you need to do to get out of that? Like, that would be, tell me what I need to do to get, that's a neat thing, because sometimes you get in a creative funk. And she's like, what you need to do is go into the bathroom, lock the stall, and just imagine music in your head and start dancing. And all these women are like, that's awesome, yeah, dance. And she's like, yeah, you get down with your bad self. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to write that one down because I can't really see getting down with myself in a bathroom stall is really going to help my creativity. But there it is just in case it helps yours. So she went on, she's whipping the crowd into a frenzy, and she basically says in her talk that she knows what goes in the blank. Purpose in life. She says, ladies, I know who you are. Now, if someone tells you they know who you are, you perk your ears up. All these women are like, who, who? She said, this is something that can define you, that you can walk throughout life, With this being the definition, you need to demand this from the world, from your families. You need to live into it. Everyone's waiting, and she says, you are queens. Everyone's like, man, that resonates with me, right? That feels really good to think I am a queen, okay? So she didn't leave it there. She starts saying, we need to live into this. We need to demand it. Let's chant it together. So she has the whole group of two to three hundred women start saying, I am a queen, right? And they begin kind of like, I am a queen, right? That feels a little weird. And she's like, shout it out, ladies. And they're like, I am a queen. And they're all yelling, making these strident claims to royalty. And I'm like, this, trying not to laugh because how many royal bloodlines are there in San Angelo, Texas? Uh, Not so many, and none of those ladies had like the matching pillbox hat and, you know, pastel ensemble that queens usually wear, right? And so there they are all shouting about being a queen, and I'm thinking, man, if it comes down to who gets the last dessert, 12 queens at my table are going to be fighting it out over who gets that piece of chocolate cake, right? But the thing is, the reason that they were willing to yell a lie at the top of their lungs is because we are so desperate for someone to tell us who we are and why we're here. That if somebody says they know it and it sounds kind of good, we're gonna grab onto it. Even if we know it's ridiculous. I am a queen. Try living into that, friends. You know, well, I need to have that blah, 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 because I'm a queen. Oh, you're a queen too? Hmm, we have a problem. There's a better word. If I had had the crowd's attention that day, I would have told them the word that they should put in the blank. I'm going to tell it to y'all, and I want you not to groan when I say it. It's steward. Now, when the last, last service I said stewardship, everybody, oh God, it's going to be a talk about money. No, that's the neat thing. Stewardship is not about just your money. Yay, right? We're not talking about that today. We're talking about purpose in life, and that is the word that I get from the first chapter of Genesis. Let's go there right now. This first chapter in Genesis, the creation story, tells us who we are created to be, who we are inside our hearts. We are God's children. Nobody can take that away from us. That's who we are. Who are we supposed to be? What is our purpose? We're going to read that too. Then God said, this is verse 26, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. See, that's who we are. They will reign, ooh, rain. Over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And if you look back over this account, all those animals have been given dominion over different parts of the earth. Like the the ones that scurry on the ground have the land, and the fish in the sea have the ocean. So over all of that, God is putting people. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Again, who you are. We're not talking about who we are today. We're talking about what we're supposed to be doing. But who you are, God's child, right here. And then listen to this. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground. So if you still have your pen out, will you, even if you're not with me, I'm putting that word in the blank, Put steward somewhere there. Steward. Let me tell you what it means because it's an old-fashioned word. Um, A steward is the person who is responsible for managing the finances, the property, the household, the estate of another. If any of y'all have seen Lord of the Rings, are y'all laughing because you've seen Lord of the Rings, and there's like a steward who sits in the place of the king until the king comes back. He rules in place of the king. And so when we say we are stewards of God, that's a really neat thing. The, the old English from Stywald means house guardian. Don't you like that? Like guardians of the house of God. So let's just say that what gives meaning to our life is actually to be stewards for God. To have a little piece of this world where we need to be in control, where we are given authority. And if it's dying, We need to help fix it. But how do you find that peace? Because what what, what happens is we see big needs in the world and we go, man, that's a really big world, like world with a big W, and I am one person. What can I do? And so we do nothing. Let's take it a little smaller. I truly believe when we all put our hands together, we can change the big world. But as we talk today about our purpose, your purpose is going to be to take a piece of that world, the peace that God has put into your hands, and help it grow, help it bloom, help it thrive, to find that peace. It doesn't have to be grand. Um, A lot of us think, I am holding out for the magnificent call of God on my life, you know, like, to where I leave everything and become a missionary in Africa. That happens occasionally, but most of us are called to find that peace in the midst of what we're already doing. Here's the first thing it will take. This is very important. If you are going to find your purpose, you cannot be staring at yourself. This will not work. Oftentimes we think, if I look very carefully at myself, if I think about what I need, then I will find out who I am. You must, if you are going to find your purpose, take your eyes off yourself. You will never find it if you're staring at yourself. You must look up. I'm going to tell you the story of Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah was, uh, he was a captive. Babylon had come and conquered his land, which was Judah, the people of God. They had destroyed the city of Jerusalem. This was 50 years ago. He was a captive now in Babylon in a foreign land, speaking a foreign language, serving the king who had made his people subservient. And so he had a lot to think about, right? But the first thing he did is he looked up from himself To another need. And that's what I want to read you about today. In the book of Nehemiah, the first chapter, it says, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah, from the people of God. I asked them about the Jews to his people who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going. So a group of Jewish people had gone back with permission to rebuild Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is just, Talking with his brother and saying, hey, I heard you have news of that. How is it going? They said to me, things are not going well. For those who return to the province of Judah, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. You see, the first thing that Nehemiah did, because he is going to discover his purpose in this process, a very amazing purpose of rebuilding this city, the first thing that he did, a captive, is he looked away from himself, and he asked his brother for news of the people of God living in Jerusalem. How is it going? How many people think you think heard that news? Probably every single person who was living in captivity in Babylon heard that news, But Nehemiah heard it, and it hurt him. And he sat down. He said, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. That's how much it touched him, that the walls were broken down, that nothing had happened, that no rebuilding had happened, and that God's nation, his people, and the capital of that place was still in ruins. And he said, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned. And fasted and prayed. I don't know about y'all, but I only fast when things are really touching me. I'm like, I'm really serious about my prayers. I'm fasting. Because we like our food, right? You think they liked their food any less back then? He was serious. It really hurt his heart. Even though it had nothing to do with him, Jerusalem could keep on being broken and Nehemiah would stay living the same life he had always been. But it hurt him because God's people, his people, were suffering. And so he starts to pray, and he starts to read the scriptures. He starts to ask, does this break God's heart? I've served churches where, this is the second question, okay? So after you look out, and you see something, and you start praying, you have to read the scriptures and say, does God care about this? Because I've had churches where there were emphatic debates and talking and you know, all these discussions and arguments over what color we were painting a room. Does God care? Does that affect the kingdom of God at all? Well, do you want I got the room painted beige to be on your tombstone? Let's look a little bigger than that. Let's make sure that whatever it is that's concerning us isn't just about our own personal interests and the way I like things to go, but it's about something happening in this world that is breaking God's heart, that can't stand any longer, and that needs me. And that's what Nehemiah found as he was praying, he was saying, God, I read in the scriptures here that if your people turn away, you say you won't give us up that he'll help us rebuild what's broken. Please help us rebuild what's broken. And you know what he starts to see is, it's me. It's me that's supposed to do that. A lot of times when we hear people hurting, we'll say, I'll pray for you. And we should. And sometimes while we're praying, we realize it's me that needs to make that broken city come back together again. And so Nehemiah realizes this is him. He doesn't know how he's going to do it. He doesn't have the manpower. He doesn't have the resources. He certainly doesn't have the authority to leave his job for the king and go rebuild Jerusalem. But, he, but here's the next thing to realize. So you look up. You ask yourself through prayer, is this something that God cares about? You realize it's, it's me. And then you realize if I am God's steward, that means I am caring for his household. So he's going to make a way. It's, if that is your purpose, if you are called to be steward of something, God will make the way for you. So Nehemiah didn't just say, okay, God, make the way. He spent six months praying about it. He spent six months drawing up a plan. If we were going to rebuild that city, what would we need? And so in, as soon as his plans are done and he's waited and he's prayed, then the king talks to him. He is the king's cupbearer. I think I've told y'all that before, cupbearer was a very important job because kings were getting poisoned left and right in the ancient Near East, and it was oftentimes done through a drink or a piece of food. And so the cupbearer is the guy you trust with your life, the guy who's going to keep your cup safe from poison and who is going to taste it first and take the bullet for you if there's poison in it. So one day, Nehemiah is thinking about Jerusalem on the job for the king. And so he looked sad. It was the first time ever he'd ever looked sad. Now, guys, if your cupbearer suddenly starts looking down at the mouth, what are you going to do? <laughs> like, dude, are you okay? You know, like, this is an important question for the king. And Nehemiah realizes he's asking about my heart. And so he breathes this prayer to God, God help me, and he tells him, how could I be happy? How could I be anything other than sad when the city of my ancestors is in ruins? And the king is like, what do you want to do? And he's like, let me tell you. I want to take all these people that you're going to give me, and all this edict, that power that you're going to give me, and I need some materials, and I want to go rebuild it. The king's like, how long will this take? And Nehemiah tells him he's got it all planned out, and the king says, you've got it. Go. And he does. The neat thing is, as he goes to rebuild and to be a leader, Nehemiah was a great leader to the people of God. He leads on a construction project. That was Nehemiah's job. God pulls in a prophet, Ezra, who helps them rebuild their hearts. And they work together, rebuilding spiritually, rebuilding the city that's broken. We can do that. Construction project, y'all. Oftentimes we're thinking, waiting for the grand call of God, you know? I'm gonna go to the streets of Calcutta and minister to the broken street people there maybe, maybe God is calling one of you to become a pastor, to go as a missionary somewhere. But I want to tell you the truth. He is calling every one of you to take care of the resources he's already given you. That's where I want us to go back to that list. That's where I hope you actually wrote something down. Um, Look at those things that you do every day. Who you are and... Um, the influence and the relationships and the spaces and the resources that God has put in your hands. You are a steward of those things. Like as not, you are not going to find, oftentimes we think, this is what I do, I want to find my purpose, and we think it's going to be apart from this. It's in the middle of it. If we just look up and realize Oh my gosh, I've been given to be a steward of a marriage, a steward of some grandkids, a steward of a workplace, a steward of where I volunteer at that school, that I have influence there. So I'd ask you what cities are broken down around you. Look at these roles and say, Where is there a broken city? Lift up your eyes and look. Where is a relationship dying? that you could do something about. Where's your broken city? It doesn't have to be grand. It can make an amazing difference just in your life. Begin as Nehemiah did. Look up. Look up. Look around you. Pray. Ask yourself, does God care about this? Is God calling me to do something about this? Plan. And then wait for God to make the opportunity. He will. He gave Nehemiah the opportunity. The city was rebuilt. I want to tell you a story about Adam Hamilton's daughter. I love Adam Hamilton as a pastor. And he told this story about his daughter who, first year of their marriage, she and her husband went to South Africa, and they were working with the poor there. You're going to think this is about doing that, but actually, it's a, wait with me. It's about somebody else that they met. They were working in a hospice group for people in South Africa who were dying of AIDS, and they realized that they wanted to give these patients, these residents, a treat. And they didn't have very much money. So she and a colleague of hers got together all their money and they realized that they had enough to get everybody an ice cream cone. And there was a Kentucky Fried Chicken nearby. And so they, they, they gathered up everyone who could move, who could go on a field trip, and they said, we're going to take you to Kentucky Fried Chicken to get ice cream. They didn't have enough money to do anything else, just the ice cream cone. So all of the residents of this hospice facility are sitting in the Kentucky Fried Chicken, smiling because they have an ice cream cone. And there's a man from South Africa who comes up to them and says, comes up to Adam's daughter, Danielle, and says, what you are doing for these people, these sick people, is really beautiful. Would it be okay if I bought them a piece of fried chicken? yes yum (laughs) right so that man who Danielle said didn't look like he had a lot of money at all bought every person there a piece of fried chicken and she told the story because that was probably the last time that most of them ate ice cream or fried chicken she said they were so happy it was such a happy day why? Because one man was a Kentucky Fried Chicken and saw some people eating ice cream and thought, that's beautiful. I could be a part of that. He couldn't make them well, but he could give them a piece of fried chicken. We can do that. Look at your list. You are the steward of this list. You're not going to find your purpose Outside and beyond it, your purpose may be to buy fried chicken when the opportunity comes up. And would that be bad? That would be awesome. This is what Paul said. Let me close with this. Paul said, so I run with purpose in every step. I run. He described life as a race. He said, I run with purpose in every step. Every step of our life is a chance to find meaning and purpose. It's a chance to be a steward. It's a chance not to find meaning beyond who we are and what we do, but right there within it. Stewards. I am a steward. You are a steward. Let's pray. As we come into this time of prayer, will you just pray? Kind of repeat that in your heart to yourself. Just say to yourself, I am a steward. I am a steward. Caretaker for God. A guardian. Think about the things you wrote down, about the relationships, the places. the situations that you are a steward of, that God has put into your hands. Celebrate those things that you know you are taking good care of for God. Look around, lift your gaze. Are there broken cities around you? some of those things broken? What could you do? What is God asking you to do? Lord God, we your people would gladly accept our purpose as being your stewards, as caring for the peace of the world that you have put into our hands. Help us to be faithful and joyful to know that you have given us not just who we are, we are your children, but purpose in our lives that we won't find it outside and beyond, but right in the middle of what we're doing, you are calling us to care for what you've given us. Thank you for trusting us with that, Lord. Help us to be good stewards.